There we go. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we bless your name. We lift you high. We thank you so much that we gather together in the powerful name of Jesus. Because of the power of Jesus' blood that we were singing about this morning, we can be here together and we can come as we are knowing that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are accepted as your children. We are loved. We are delighted in. We come as we are and we ask that you would speak with your voice of love and care and tenderness to each one of us this morning. May we be open, may we have receptive hearts to hear what it is that you want to do in us this morning. Father, equip us to go out this week and to share your love with the community, Lord. May we experience your love more deeply so that it will overflow to others. And so bless the reading of your word, Lord, and all that we talk about this morning. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. So we're looking at uh, the story of Gideon this morning, found in Judges chapter 6. If you have your Bible and want to to turn there, I'll be reading in the NIV, and we're going to start at verse 11, and then I'll summarize. It's a very long story, uh, if you know it. Um, I'm sure you know it well. Uh, It's a long story, so I'll summarize some of the rest of it. But we'll start reading at verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, Place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire flared up from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. 
you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the, Ab- the Abizrites. And then we find out that immediately, that same night, the angel of the Lord asks Gideon to tear down the altar to Baal and the Asherah pole that was in the community. So he was from a family and a community that was worshiping Baal when the Lord called him. And when he said that, when the angel of the Lord appeared to him and he built this altar, of course, the altar to the Lord could not stand right next to the altar to Baal. That's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And so that very same night, Gideon's first task was to destroy the altar of Baal and take down the Asherah pole. But he was afraid. What is my family going to think? What are they going to do to me? This is, this is who we worship. And so um, he did it at night. He got some people to help him servants to help him, took 10 of his servants, and he took down the uh, altar to Baal and the Asherah pole at night because of his fear. And then the next day when they discovered, the community discovered that it was gone, they were going to kill him. But his father, thinking quickly, said, no, let Baal contend for himself. If Baal's really upset about him taking down the altar, he'll take care of him. He'll kill him. He won't survive. But Baal did nothing, as in the story of Elijah, did not defend himself because, of course, Baal is not real. But anyways, so then we move on to verse 34. When it says, so he obeyed God, he did what he was told, he removed the idols, and then in verse 34, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. Okay, so he's already encountered the angel of the Lord. And now in this verse, the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And when we get to verse 36, we see he is still fearful. He still wants another sign. Okay, the angel of the Lord has brought fire, burned up the meat. He's... It, given him so many indications that his word is truth. But Gideon still comes again and he says to God in verse 36, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew a bowl full of water. So again, the Lord answered his prayer and assured him, I'm going to use you to bring deliverance. But that wasn't enough for Gideon. Then Gideon said to God in verse 39, don't be angry with me. He's, he's admitting. He's fearful. He says, don't be angry with me. I need another sign. Let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with this fleece. This time, make the fleece dry. So this was a harder thing. Make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. And that night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. And then we go on. And he's, he's doing what the Lord said to gather an army together to defeat the Midianites. And 32,000 people follow him. 
32,000 people follow him to defeat the Midianites. And God says, no, 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 that's too many. I won't get the glory if you use that many. So he said, tell everyone that's afraid to go home. He made allowance for their fear. So he said, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left. So he was left with 10,000. And still God said, nope, too many. That's too many. So take them down to the river and find out how many are going to lap up the water like a dog. How many are going to drink out of their hands and how many are going to lap up the water like a dog? 300 lapped up the water like a, go- uh, like a dog. The most unlikely people. God says, I am going to win with the most unlikely people. Right? And that's what happened. But Gideon was still, after all those signs and wonders, he was still afraid the night before the attack. And so do you know what the Lord did? Did the Lord shame him for his fear? Did the Lord say, can't you see I've already done so much? Do you know what the Lord said? He said, um, verse seven, chapter 7, verse 9, During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up and go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So that's exactly what Gideon did, indicating that, yes, he was still afraid. So he took his servant, and he went to hear what they were saying. And sure enough, one of the Midianites had had a dream, and Gideon overheard this dream, and the, the, the people of Midian knew. They had a dream that, that um, they were going to be overtaken by Gideon and the Israelites. So... Our topic this morning, if you haven't already guessed, is what is it that we do with our fear? What is it that we do with our fear? All through the story of Gideon, we see fear is a theme. We see fear is our theme. We will experience fear. There's fear all around us. We face things every day that cause us fear. We can be afraid of our health declining. We can be afraid for our children. We can be afraid of illness. We can be afraid of all sorts of things, death, tragedy, all all manner of things that we are afraid of. And we will face fear every day. And the pandemic is a perfect example. We have seen such an increase in fear and anxiety. But the Bible's number one command is do not be afraid. So what do we do with this? Well, because this is mentioned hundreds of times in the Bible, don't fear, don't tremble, trust me, don't be afraid. Hundreds and hundreds of times God says don't be afraid. And so you know what happens is many Christians feel then shame for their fear. A lot of shame and like I have to get rid of, of my fear. There's a strong sense in all of us. We just have to get rid of our fear or our anxiety. But in this world, while we, were in, while we are in this world, we will experience fear and anxiety. So the key is actually not how do we get rid of our fear, because we will always face more fear. It is what do we do with our fear? Is fear an obstacle 
in our relationship with God and others? Or is our fear driving us to deeper intimacy with Jesus? This is a really, really important point because if we never experienced fear, if fear was totally gone and we didn't have fear anymore, we actually wouldn't grow in our trust of God and our deeper intimacy because fear can propel us to deeper intimacy with God. When we are afraid, that's what the psalmist said, Psalm 56, verse 3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Not if I'm afraid, we will be afraid, but when I am afraid, and I will be afraid, I will choose, it's an act of the will, I will choose to put my trust in you. I will choose to not let my fear be an obstacle to my relationship with God. Because when we slip into shame and go, oh, there I go again, I'm so anxious, I'm so, I'm, I must be doing something wrong, then fear becomes our focus, not God and our intimacy with God. So when we are afraid, we choose to put our trust in God. We bring our fear to Jesus and we choose to trust him. We take our eyes off of the fear and we focus our eyes on Jesus. Remember the line that I've often said in the past few months, growth doesn't mean that we no longer sin Growth means that we run more quickly to the cross. And it's the same with fear. Growth doesn't mean that we're no longer, um, that, that we're no longer afraid. That's not growth. We will face fear. It means that we bring our fear more quickly to Jesus and we ask for help to trust him. So listen to how God addresses us in our fear. Gideon and his family and his community were hiding in caves at the beginning of this chapter. We didn't read the first few verses of chapter 6. But if you go back in the book of Judges, um, all the way through, you see verse, or chapter 3, verse 7. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served Baals and the Asherahs. And so the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishatham, king of Aram Neharam, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz. That's the beginning of verse of chapter 3. And then verse 12, once again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. But again the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer named Ehud. And that's chapter 3. And then after Ehud died, chapter 4, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. But... Who was it this time? Deborah. Deborah came along and Barak. And they are singing this song, this beautiful song of deliverance. The Lord has delivered them. And then we get to chapter 6. And it says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So the context of our chapter is 
that the Midianites were actually raiding the whole community. They were taking their wheat, their goods. They had, the, the Israelites had been given in the time of Deborah the land, the, the good part of Jezreel, the valley that was so fruitful, and now the Midianites were coming and uh, stealing crops, and so that's why Gideon is hiding in a wine press threshing the wheat because if he did it out in the open, the Midianites would come and take it. So here we have the man who God is um, using to deliver, and he finds him in hiding in the wine press, hiding from the Midianites. Does that remind you of anybody else when God called them? They were hiding. <laughs> All sorts of people, right? <laughs> Moses, Moses was hiding. Moses was hiding. Uh, he, he had left and gone, uh, gone away from Egypt because he had killed the Egyptian. And actually, Gideon's call is very similar to Moses' call. Um, it's fascinating. Barry Webb, a commentator, he actually draws a lot of parallels. He says, like Moses, Gideon received his call while he was hiding from the enemy, doing menial work to keep his family alive. That was verse 11. And like Moses, he was told that the Lord was sending him on a mission. He said, I'm sending you. That was verse 14. And he protested, didn't he, like Moses. Moses, like, who am I? I'm not, I'm not good enough to be sent on a mission. He protested like Moses did, that he was inadequate for the task. That's verse 15. But he received the same promise as Moses did. And it wasn't a promise that you would never be scared, never have fear. It was a promise of, I will be with you, verse 16. And like Moses, he received a call or received a sign, sorry, to confirm that call, verse 16, with the staff and everything was burned up, right? Verse 17. Finally, miraculous fire signaled God's presence in verse 21 as it did in the call of Moses. The fire of the burning bush and the fire uh, in verse 21 uh, confirmed the call. So the message is clear. God is saying that I'm going to use you, Gideon. I'm going to use you to save the people. I haven't forgotten about Israel, even though time and time again, they keep disobeying. But when they cry out to him, God responds and he sends another deliverer. So in Gideon's weakness, God comes to him. As he is hiding, God chooses him. And so um, that's how God addresses us in our fear. He doesn't address us by our fear. What did he say to Gideon? He said, mighty warrior. He's hiding in a wine press, and God calls him mighty warrior. And the same thing, that's the same thing he does to us. He calls us by the name of who he sees us to be, who our potential. He looks at our potential, not at our fear. Just like he asks us not to focus on our fear, he does not focus on our fear. He calls us by the name he sees us as his beloved children. So point number one, we're not defined by our fear. We're defined by who God says we are. Turn to each other and say, we are not defined by our fear. Our fear can push us toward God or it can drive us away from God. So we have to be careful with fear because fear can be an obstacle. It can consume us. And if we don't take our fear captive, 
and bring it to God. And that's the beautiful thing about the story of Gideon. What did Gideon keep doing with his fear? He kept bringing it to God. He says, I'm really sorry, but I'm still afraid. Can you give me another sign? And God did not shame him. He kept giving him reassurance of his presence and his call on his life. I love this story. I love it. Um, So if we don't take our fear captive and bring it to God, then fear can cloud our thinking and our vision. So what if Gideon had not done that, had not continued to bring that fear to God and just kept it inside and tried to, you know, pick up his britches and carry on? right? We have to be real about our fear. We have to say, God, I'm still struggling with the fear, but I'm choosing to focus on you, not focus on our fear. Because if we focus on our fear, it's an obstacle. If we bring it to God, it's an invitation to deeper intimacy. So all through the story, Gideon brings his fear to God. And our fear allows us to trust God more deeply. If we never experienced fear, we would not know what it means to trust the Lord in the same way in our fear. Because fear forces us to either trust God more or to be bound up in anxiety. We would not know what it means that the Lord is our refuge and our stronghold when we're facing fear. If we're not running from anything, a refuge is something that keeps us safe in the middle of trouble, in the middle of fear. We wouldn't know what God, we wouldn't know God as our refuge or our stronghold if we weren't running from anything or weren't experiencing any trouble. But the enemy's tactic often in our life is to keep us focused on our fear and trying to get rid of our fear ourselves right? That's the enemy's tactic. Rather than honestly bringing our fear to the Lord and admitting our weakness and asking for his peace and revelation in the middle of our fear. For many years, I had a very strange fear. I think it came from from the family dynamic growing up, the perfectionism in my family and the expectations uh, as a ministry family in our church. And I had this debilitating fear for a long time Um, that I was not loving people well enough. I was consumed by it. I was just like, God, I just don't feel like I'm loving people well enough, and what more can I do? And, you know, I was just this, you know, it it stemmed from, as I've shared with you before, comparison with others, um, comparison with my family. They're loving people more effectively than I am because they're praying for them more. And I was literally bound up by my fear. And so one a year, I talked to one of my professors at school, and he helped me see that as I focused on the fear and trying to get rid of this fear, I was making it all about me. And that I was making it about the fact that I wasn't loving enough. It was actually putting attention on me, which is the opposite of what I wanted. And so rather than acknowledging and continuing to focus on the power of the gospel to change my heart and to change the lives of other people around me and rather than acknowledging that God's love was strong enough to transform my heart and make me loving I was bound up in this fear but he helped me to see this and to shift my focus so that every time the enemy brought this back because oh did the enemy ever play on it uh, I was able to say no 
I'm not focusing on that. I'm going to bring that to the Lord and declare that his love is powerful enough to change my heart and to make me more loving, that actually my love will grow as I just focus on the Lord and allow him to fill me. But it was, it was debilitating. My mind was clouded with this fear and worry that I somehow wasn't enough. I wasn't living the way God wanted me to live or loving people well enough. But the enemy used that as a tactic to focus my eyes on me rather than on God's power and God's faithfulness and God's love to transform me and enable me to love. So is there a fear that you've been battling with that is clouding your mind and debilitating you somehow, preoccupying your mind or controlling your thoughts. We're gonna take, we're gonna pause and we're gonna listen to the Lord and just ask the Lord to put his finger on a particular fear that we're struggling with. Now just take another moment to talk to the Lord about the fear that he's revealed. Have you been letting this fear define you? Have you been focusing on the fear and allowing it to cloud your vision? Or have you been focused on the faithfulness of God and allowing the fear to propel you to deeper intimacy with Jesus? Let's take another minute. Just talk to the Lord about it. God knows that fear is a reality of living in the world. Otherwise, he would not have encouraged us hundreds and hundreds of times to not be afraid in his word. He knows that it's a repeated invitation for us to draw near. Don't be afraid. It's a tender invitation for us to bring him a fear. It's not, it's not this shaming, oh, you have fear. It's an invitation to bring us fear and have him replace it with his love. So he repeatedly encourages us to take our fear captive and choose to trust. So that was point number one. We are not defined by our fear. Fear does not define who we are. Point number two, fear does not disqualify you. Fear does not disqualify you from serving the Lord in a mighty way. Gideon was a very unlikely hero. He was hesitant, he was fearful, he was hiding, he was very aware of the weakness of him and his family and his clan. But if we were never afraid, then we would get the glory, not God, for what we do, right? We would get the glory. But because, sorry, when we do things out of our own strength and self-assurance, rather than depending on God's strength in our weakness, 
then the glory would come to us. People think, oh, you're so amazing. You're so great, right? So God chooses to use people that in their own strength are like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And so when you pray for God to use you, be careful because (laughs) he will weaken you in order to use you because he wants the glory because he knows it is not good for us to have any glory. It makes our heads large. It's not good for us to get the attention and the praise. The attention and the praise goes to him. And so when we pray, Lord, I want to be used by you, be careful. I mean, pray, pray, absolutely. But you, he will weaken us. So we depend on his strength for his glory. Our fear reminds us of our weakness apart from God. And we read the comparison. We read Gideon's call. We read Moses' call. And the Lord weakened both of them before he used them as mighty warriors. So fear does not define you, and fear does not disqualify you. It doesn't disqualify us. And number three is our fears actually can teach us. They can teach us about who God is, and they can teach us about who we are. And there's a quote from a book I read this week, actually. It's a book called Sensible Shoes. I don't know if by Sharon Garlow Brown. I don't know if any of you have read it, but it's a wonderful book. I highly recommend it. But here's this quote in, uh, in this book. Faith isn't about not being afraid. Faith means we trust God even when we're afraid, especially when we're afraid. Don't worry about trying to rid yourself of your fears. Instead, and here is this part that relates to point three, instead, let your fears do the hard work of revealing deep truths about yourself. Our fears can be windows into the raw and unvarnished truth of our lives. We don't cling to them or feed them, but we do listen prayerfully to what they teach us. We ask God what the fear is revealing about We even have new batteries. (laughs) That's okay. Um, So, uh, we don't cling to them or feed them, but we do listen prayerfully to what they teach us. We ask God what the fear is revealing about who we are and what we lack. We bring our fears into the light of God's healing love, offering them up to God as an expression of our weakness and our need for him. Even our fears become opportunities for encountering Jesus if we let them draw us close to the Lord. Have you ever thought about fear in that way? That it's a window into helping you see what is true about what is going on inside you. I can tell you that fear of not loving well enough, that example that I was telling you earlier that I was debilitated by, that as I examined that before the Lord and went to a spiritual director and got help, it was a window into the debilitating reality of comparison in my life, the less than feeling, the way that I was um, 
so concerned with measuring up to my family. All sorts of things that fear taught me that the Lord wanted to speak into. The Lord had a lot of deep work to do, and that fear was my teacher. And I had to learn to submit it to God, of course, because it had become a focus rather than just a window into what was going on. But, um, yeah, that's a fascinating, so much, so many rich thoughts in that passage from that book, Sharon Garlow Brown, that author. So fear can be our teacher. If we bring our fear to God, it's a tool that he uses to teach us and to draw us closer to him, to develop our faith, to purify our hearts, and to allow us to experience him more deeply. There's nothing easy or fun, as you know, about being afraid. It's horrible. It's a horrible thing. Fear and anxiety is a horrible thing. However, if we focus on it and put our focus on trying to get rid of it, we miss the point. We miss the point of experiencing Jesus in it. We miss the point of allowing fear to teach us. We miss the point of uh, bringing God glory in our weakness. We miss it. We allow the enemy to uh, have his way, to, to get a grip on us, to have a hold on us. So what we need to do is take our fear captive bring it to the cross continually, day by day. And as we keep our focus on Jesus, we will experience the reality more and more that he is strong in our weakness and that he does give peace in our fear. We're going to finish with um, a prayer that Mary put around for you. It's a prayer from Martin Luther. And you can take it home. I wanted to print it off so that you can take it home with you and pray it. Um, I'll read it once and then we'll read it together as a prayer to close. Behold, Lord, an empty vessel that needs to be filled. My Lord, fill it. I am weak in the faith. Strengthen me. I am cold in love. Warm me and make me fervent that my love may go out to my neighbor. I do not have strong and firm faith. At times I doubt and am fearful and unable to trust you altogether. O Lord, help me. Strengthen my faith and trust in you. Let's read that all together. Behold, Lord, an empty vessel that needs to be filled. My Lord, fill it. I am weak in the faith. Strengthen me. I am cold in love. Warm me and make me fervent that my love may go out to my neighbor. I do not have strong and firm faith. At times I doubt and am fearful and unable to trust you altogether. O Lord, help me. Strengthen my faith and trust in you. Martin Luther brought himself as he was to the Lord, admitting his weakness, his coldness of heart, 
his doubt, his fear, all of these things he brought before the Lord. He turned his posture toward the cross. And if I can encourage you to do anything this week, it is to bring your fear to Jesus. Keep submitting it to him. Keep bringing it to him. Lay down the shame that is associated with your fear and bring it to the cross and experience him more deeply. So remember, fear does not define us. We are not defined by our fear. Fear does not disqualify us. And fear can be our teacher. Amen. All right, we are going to take up an offering. We're going to give back to the Lord from all that he has given us. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to give. Lord, you give us so much that is rich from your word. You give us your presence. You fill us with your spirit. You have good, amazing plans for each one of us in our lives. And so we bring ourselves before you and we bring our offerings of love to you, to thank you in a small way for all that you have done and all that you have given. You are a good and generous God, and we praise you and bless you. Amen. That's a great song, isn't it? <laughs> That'll get you up and going in the morning. Uh, thank you so much for that, uh, uh, Steph. It, it, uh, I was thinking, as you were saying, um, when these last two years talk about fear being a teacher, wow, can it ever be a teacher? But I remember something that Sandy had prayed for me way back and uh, about two years ago, and she sent it to me. And uh, basically what she was saying in it, it was all about the Star Trek thing, <laughs> which only her and I would understand. But uh, the idea of not looking so much at the root, sometimes you, you have to do that. Um, uh, you really do. Sometimes you have to go back and find out what that's all about. And sometimes you have to ignore it. And, and she said what she felt God saying to her about this was to not so much look back at the root, but to remember the times that the Lord called you his son. And it's just what uh, Stephanie was saying, you know, not focusing on the fear, but focusing on God's opinion of you and what he, who he is and what he does and who he is in us and who we are in him. Uh, so there's that other piece of scripture that, that I, you know, I heard quite a few times at the beginning of it, uh, people saying that, you know, if you, f- if you fear you're not perfected in love because it has to do with punishment, fear has to do with punishment. And, and I remember that just hitting me so hard and convi- like not convicting, condemning me and saying, oh, my heavens, I'm not perfected in love. Oh, no, I'm really lost now because I, I don't have love. But it, it says the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Well, who's made perfect in this room yet? Anyone here made perfect yet? So if you, you are, you can come up and take over the church if you'd like to. Um, because that ability, Paul talked about it earlier on in his letters, uh, saying, you know, when, when we're perfected, when the perfect comes, well, we're still waiting for that perfect, you know? 
within ours. And, and scripture says that all nature is groaning, waiting for that perfection, waiting. We're all groaning through our circumstances, uh, you know, waiting for that perfect place. But it's so beautiful to know that fear doesn't disqualify us. It's beautiful. Um, prayer, Tuesday night. Here, we'll start it on Tuesday night at 6 o'clock, every Tuesday night from here on in. Oh, 6.30, sorry, sorry 6.30. Uh, we'll continue on uh, until something tries to stop us. <laughs> we'll meet every Tuesday night. We don't know what the fall's going to bring with everything. If you listen to the news, you, anyway. Um, also, the giving room uh, downstairs, just a little reminder. If you're out doing groceries or something, pick up something to put in, the, in that giving room. Um, if you have any item that might be, you think, usable for someone else in their home, something that might be good, um, you can bring that and put that down there. Clothing, if you think it's, it's good and it's usable, then you bring it and we'll make it available. So that room's down there today. Um, and Trish and Erica will be down there. The clothes are in the room over there, but they'll guide you through that. Finally, um, the Stephanie starts full-time, has started full-time with us now. Um, we're able to get everything done, and officially she's now a pastor in this church. <laughs> and uh, the way it's going to work, she'll have 20 hours a week, and she's going to be with us every second or two Sundays a month, and then she is also, and her family are involved with uh, a launch of a church out in uh, Timberley called BLT. It's from uh, Living Waters, uh, Living Waters, Deep Waters, uh, Deep Water Church. Um, so she'll, two, two Sundays with us, two Sundays with her family there, and over the 20 hours during the week, she'll of course be with us during prayer meeting. Uh, we are working on a discipling ship thing that's going to happen on Thursday mornings. Um, and of course, she'll be available for meeting with whoever might want to meet with her and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's starting now, which is really neat. I still, I still look at it and say, God, this is so crazy because she wasn't looking for it. We weren't looking for it. But God said you need it and made it happen in very, very clear terms that, uh, that this is what we were supposed to be doing. So it's great. Um, the church plant that is going to happen, it's, it's when is it, October? Yeah. Okay, October 30th is when it starts. So it's something if you want to pray about that, that they are planting this new church in Timberley. And, uh, you know, just keep it on your mind. And when it comes to you, pray about it, that all the things come together. And uh, church plants are hard. There are hard things. A lot, getting the routine going and getting everybody where you want it to be. And so uh, that's, and we'll hear more about it as, as time goes along. So that's about it. Is there anything else? Anything, anybody have any, anything they want to say? Everybody good? I think everybody's good. If you're not good, let us know. And we'll see what we can do about it. <laughs> Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this life-giving word, Lord. We are privileged to be here. That, Father, for this short hour a week, we come and you pump into us 
all this encouraging stuff, all of this hopeful stuff. Lord, it's, it's an embarrassment of riches that we are receiving. I pray for those that are not here this morning, that, Father, if it was in their capability to be here and they chose not to, I pray for them that you would correct them. And for those that have no other course but to not be able to be here, we pray that you meet them and be with them. But, Father, we thank you for church. The church is where you chose to change the world. It is through the church that you have chose to have your presence and purpose on this earth displayed and worked out. So we pray over this church of Mosaic, and we pray that, Father, you would lead us out of here today to represent you, and just like Luther said, fill our life and our hearts with love so that it comes over to our neighbor, the neighbor on the bus, the neighbor at work, the neighbor that is just beside us in a store. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
testimony now has to be different. You can still do it. You just have to be a little bit more clever as to how you do it. But it can still be done. Yeah, it's, the world's falling apart, eh? It, it kind of is. I don't want to sound too dramatic, but there's some terrible things happening. So, Father, we pray for Pakistan. Father, we pray for the millions of people. A third of that country is underwater, while the rest of the world is without water. Uh, it's these strange polarizations, Father, but we pray uh, Father, for those lives, those people that are just trying to live. Um, they may not have heard the gospel. Who knows, Dad? But, Father, we just pray for them. We pray for the people that are suffering uh, because of the Ukraine and Russia thing. Father, we pray for those people who have been displaced. We pray for the uh, situation in Africa where the drought is going, what's going on in Somalia with the war starting up again, Father God. Lord, we pray. We pray for Southern California or California, which is going through drought. And Lord, it's shaking. You're shaking everything. And so, Father, we just pray. Help us to know what to pray, how to pray, what to do, and how to respond in the public market as in the people we meet how to speak your hope into this, your truth into it, Father God. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're very right, Janet. I'm glad you said that and not me. Um, but it's the truth. It's the truth. The time is coming where we are going to be tested. I, I was talking to Todd in the yard the other day, and I, I we're standing there talking about how everything is, and I said, you know, it's hard to know. It's hard to believe that there's, you know, anything going on at all bad in the world. We're sitting here. It's sunny and, you know. So, you know, with the drought in California, by the way, uh, you know, most of our greens come from California. Most of our vegetables come from California. So, bada-bing, bada-boom. So, but anyway. The what? Oh, yes, Cuba. Yeah, we'll just pray for Cuba. Father, we pray for Cuba. And, Lord, we thank you uh, for our connection with Cuba. Lord, they are... It's, it's the unheard situation, Lord, in the world right now. Uh, they have no fuel. Food is incredibly expensive. The infrastructure is breaking down. Nothing works. 
And so, Father, we just pray for our pastors that are in Cuba, for their strength and for them to continue and to be strong. And that, Father, I pray for Jimmy, that you encourage him. He's having such a difficult time with his health. And, and Father, we just pray for what you're doing in Cuba and that that government would be changed. And that, Father, freedom would come into that country. Uh, so we pray it and believe it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a great... Oh, go ahead. Take hold and continue.